Hey, Fountain Springs, how are you guys doing? Good, good. Hey, I want to welcome everybody, all the fellows at RCMU, so glad you are here. And so, I want to do this. I want to go ahead and dig into it. I want to start off with a question. It's going to be a pretty heavy question, but I think it's a good question to ask. And here it is. If God wanted to do a miracle through you, would you have the faith to carry it through? Think about that for a little bit. Now, I'm going to change it a little bit on us, and I'm going to go down more of a funny direction. Now think of the moment, the last time you really felt and you looked stupid. Some of you are like, it's actually on the way in here, actually. Um, no, I, I'll tell you, my life has been full of those moments, and I'm going to share some of those with you, which initially when I was putting, on the, like, putting this sermon together, I was like, God, do I really have to share these? And he's like, yeah, it's really going to help. And I was like, I don't know. I might help them, but I might be scarred for life. Um, but here are kind of my funny, like stupid moments, and I'll get to the kind of the point of it here in a little bit. But they all center around, um, I'll kind of have a lot of focus on this one, around my wife. And kind of the gradual progression of kind of dating, got married, and then married life. And so I'll start with dating. So we were going um, with a group of friends on spring break, to Virginia. A friend lived there, and we were all going there, and during that time, I kind of just started all like this young lady named Tina, and um, I was like, man, she's awesome, and, and we really kind of hit it off on the trip, and on the way back, I was like, all right, I'm going to ask this girl to, you know, start dating and, and see, and so I'm like all nervous, and um, and the best part is, is so we were kind of divvying up, okay, how are we going to ride home? And it worked out to where it was like my friend and myself and then Tina. So my friend was driving. Tina was sitting in the like, like front seat, and I'm sitting in the back, had that whole like back seat to myself. And I'm the kind of guy where I kind of like to see like, all right, does she like me first before I ask the question? And so I decided to do this. So I kind of tilted as far as I could to the side of the seat and like right behind her and kind of slid my hand up front and grabbed her hand. And I was like, and is this, see if she responds back. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> she grabbed my hand and I was like, yes. Now the funny part to me is for the next, like it was a long drive, we held hands the whole time. <laughs> I look back at that and if you were like to take a picture of me, I was like, dude, what are you doing? You look ridiculous. But I thought, this is amazing. Now, I take you to my time where we got engaged. So I had this all planned out. It was beautiful in my mind. That's <laughs> where the story starts. You know it's going well after that. So I was going to get, uh, she lived in Chicago. I was going to arrive to Chicago. Um, someone was going to pick me up. I was going to drive to a certain place. I had set it up to where her friends were going to take her on this scavenger hunt. I was going to meet her at this place. It was a park. I had this place all like, park all planned out where I was going to go. So get to Chicago. Turns out, person who was picking me up got to the wrong airport because there's two in Chicago. And <laughs> on top of that, uh, the whole scavenger hunt idea didn't work as well as I thought. I thought I explained, like, hey, friends, I want you to go with. She went by herself, not what I was hoping for. And then we get to the park. I'm standing there with all my luggage. <laughs> hey. Um, and like, I'm like, hey, good to see you. And by this point, she's like, this is not really a surprise anymore. She kind of knows what's happening. 
And so I'm like, well, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen because the way my day is gone, this is happening. Um, <laughs> and so then I'm like taking her along and I cannot find the spot to save my life. Eventually I find it and this has gone completely wrong. The only saving grace to this moment was when I got down on the knee, I had this huge, like, fake ring. I get fit over three rings, so I offered that, and she starts laughing. <laughs> because she was like, what? Is this a joke? And then I pulled out the real ring, and she's like, oh. And, and so it worked. And so what seemed like a complete failure, I still got a yes. <laughs> I was like, amen. <laughs> Woo! All right? So then we get married, and I'm walking through this, and there came a moment, and this gets a little bit more serious, but... I recognized in this marriage, I was being a pretty selfish husband because I would do things like I would serve, and guys, I think you might be able to relate with me, I would serve so that I would get something back. And I know that sounds terrible, but whether it was like, hey, I did the dishes or I did something, and all I wanted was, Todd, you did a great job. And she would come home and say, yeah, I've been waiting for you to do that for a while. Like, what's, <laughs> what's the problem? And so God started pressing in and, and saying, hey, let's start working on your heart and start changing this a little bit to where you serve, not expecting the response. You just do it because you just care about her. Now, looking back at that, I was like, man, I was stupid. Stupid. And then the last one is this. And this just happened recently. This actually happened at Christmas. So I've always been a guy that's been scared to get Tina gifts because I feel like, man, she's picky. Got to make sure I want to get it right. I don't want to fail. All those kind of things. So she said, you, I asked her, hey, what do you want for Christmas? She goes, earrings. Part of me went, sweet. All right. I can do this. And it was even before I even started thinking that. She goes, you don't have to get them for me. Trust me. Like, don't. Don't do it. You're probably going to get it wrong. And I don't want to deal with that on Christmas. Um, and so I was, but then part of me was like, nope. Now that you've said it. I'm gonna make it happen, I'm gonna win this one. <laughs> you see my problem along all of this. So I get the earrings, I get it all, and I thought, oh man, these are perfect, these are great. And so she opens the gifts, and she's like, oh, they're beautiful. I can't wear them. I was like, why not? Why can you not wear them? Well, it turns out she cannot wear ones with studs. Yes, it has like the long like line, whatever those things are going on with earrings. and. <laughs> And so I learned that. Um, and so the Christmas, I was like, man, that did not go well. It didn't go as well as I thought it would. But I look back at all these moments. And here's the one thing I've noticed. In every moment where I was willing to look stupid, whether it was successful or a failure, our relationship has actually gotten better. It has grown because of the commitment or the push to be like, okay, I'm going to put this relationship out on the line. Even for me with the earrings thing, I was like, even if I get this wrong, I want to find a way to get the right gifts for her. I want to find out how to really get to know my wife and get to know the right things about her, get to know how, what kind of earrings she really wears, all those kind of things. And so I look at that and I started going, wow, over time I've learned, even in the moments where I was failing, even in the moments where I was successful, the willingness to look stupid brought about growth. And so apply that in some of your other relationships. Are you willing to have that moment where you put the relationship on the line? Maybe with your spouse, with your kids, friends, God. 
Because I think it's very dangerous when we stop doing that, when we stop risking it. I think about this with marriage. If Man, if I wasn't willing to risk some things and challenge some things, I think my marriage would have gotten stale. And it always could be if I stop. I've got two kids now, and I think the same way. It's like, man, if I'm not willing to put that relationship on the line sometimes and let them learn on their own, although everything in me wants to fix it, or those moments where maybe I was a little harsh or I've done something wrong, and I'm not, part of me is like, I don't want to apologize to a two-year-old or a five-year-old. Like, I'm father. Like, yeah, no, you know, like, there's all that going on in your brain, but if I'm willing to show that and willing to risk that, it could change everything. And so, part of me asks this question, going back to, are you willing to see miracles happen? Do you have that faith? Because I think a brave faith requires risk. A brave faith requires risk. So, think about this. Right now in your life, what are you willing to risk? What do you need to risk? possibly bring about growth, because I think there's this relationship with risk and growth to where if we don't risk anything, we may miss out on growth happening, and if we are willing to risk, growth will happen. And so, as I've been processing through and getting this sermon ready, here's the one thing I've noticed, and there's this tension that happens. Let me read this point to you. I think it's so huge. The maturity of our faith, the maturity of our faith lies in the tension of what we are willing to risk. The maturity of our faith lies in the tension of what we're willing to risk. Let me read to you from 2 Peter that kind of helped me put this point together. It says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. It keeps going on, it says this, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God points this out, he's like, make sure to add to your faith all these things. And I think in order to add some of these things, you're gonna have to risk some things. And God points out, if you're not willing to risk, here's the danger of what happens. You become ineffective, you become unproductive. And I don't think anybody in here wants that. And so how we manage this tension, because I think human nature, the natural part of it, is to not risk. It becomes very uncomfortable, especially when you reach a good spot. You reach a good spot in your marriage and you go, I just want to sit here. You reach a good spot with your kids, you just want to sit here. But the reality is, especially in our relationship with God, and we just kind of sit, God goes, no, we got to keep growing. We got to keep moving forward. And so there's a story I want to share with you that kind of helped me understand this a little bit more. And there's a story about Elisha. Last week, David talked about Elisha and his widow, Today is like the next story after that. It's in 2 Kings 4, it goes um, 4 all the way to 37, and it's about Elisha and this other woman. The story is completely different, and it's fascinating to watch both of them, because they both have these moments in this story where they do something where they kind of look stupid, but their willingness to do it changed everything. But before I get in, I think there's three areas where our faith can be, and I want to talk about this as you kind of enter into this story and look at this story, kind of start wrestling, okay, where's my faith? Because I think three areas. There's one, it's non-existent. 
and I'm talking about faith in God, it's non-existent because maybe you're here tonight and you're going, or listening online, and you're going, okay, I am, got so many questions about God. I don't know if I believe yet. I don't know if I'm willing to put my faith in him yet. So your faith is non-existent, and that's okay because the reality is all of us in here, whether you believe or not, have been at this place. We've all been at a point to where we don't know if we believe in God or not. Some of us have chosen to believe. Some of us have chosen not to believe. And if you chose not to believe, I go, okay, your faith does not exist in God. Here's the second place. Stuck. Where you've had this faith and, and you've seen some amazing things happen. God's really been teaching you some things. But now you're at this point. If you're honest, you would just say, man, my life has just been stuck these last couple years. I don't feel like I'm hearing anything from God. I don't feel like I'm, I, I'm doing anything. I, I, I just don't like where I'm at. And then the last one is growth, where you see God moving, you see God pushing you through some things, and you are like, man, this is an awesome place to be. I think those are the three areas that we can kind of be at when it comes to faith. And I want you to kind of see the story because you may see all of these levels kind of played out. So let me give you context of the story. So Elisha and his servant have been traveling all over this area um, to kind of talk with kings, to talk with important people, to talk with anybody. Wherever God told them to go, they would go. So there was this town that they always passed named Shunem. Um, and so in Shunem, there was this woman who lived who noticed Elisha and his servant always walking by. So she thought she would do something nice, something that she could provide for him. And she, go, she asked her husband, was like, hey, would it be okay if I got a house, a part of our house ready to where they could stay whenever they were here? So we got all set up. She talked to Elisha, said, hey, if you ever need a place to stay, you could always stay here. It's kind of a little place attached to her house, but off a part of it to where it could be yours. Use it whenever you want to. And Elisha appreciated that so much because they traveled through there all the time. So eventually came to a point to where Elisha was like, okay, I'm so thankful for what this woman has done. I would really just like to show some gratitude, show some thanks. And so he sends his servant, Gehazi, to say, hey, I want you to go ask her if I can do anything for her. I can go talk to the king for her. I can go take care of any matters that she's struggling to get done. Anything. Just trying to ask, like, what favor can I do for you? So Gehazi goes and asks the woman. The woman's like, hey, I don't, I don't need anything. I'm good. Life is great here. And so Gehazi comes back, and Elisha's like, hey, so what does she need? <laughs> and he actually nothing. Like she, she really doesn't want anything. So then Elisha asks this question, well, what did you see? Like, what could we give her? And I say, well, she doesn't have a child. And Elisha's like, all right, bring her in. And here, I want you to hear the rest of the story. So 2 Kings 4, 14 through 16 says this, what can be done for her? Elijah asked. Gehazi said, she has no son. Her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. She called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Now, I want you to see this right here. Interesting reaction, right? Elisha wants to do a miracle in her life. And she goes, no. No, my Lord, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. I find it fascinating, her response. But I think some of us in here, and including myself, once I started to understand this more, we start to get it. Because I think there's two fears 
that really hold us back from having the faith that we need to and having this brave faith that we're willing to risk. And the first one is this, it's a fear of loss. Because I wanna give you more context to her story. I think you can kind of pick up on it already, but there's been a lot of pain in this area that's already happened. She's probably lost kids. She's probably tried to get pregnant. And it just hasn't worked out. And she's at a point now to where she is like, I don't even want to hear that there might be expectations because I'm so scared that I'm going to lose. That I'm not, this just going to end poorly. There's no way this is going to work out. And I think this fear is very dangerous for many of us in here. Because what fear of loss do you have? Maybe God's pushing you to have a, do a job change. Or some of you in here, maybe it's even, man, just starting a relationship with God and you are scared to death of what you may lose. If it's a job change, you're scared of like, starting over. I'm gonna lose all my friends. I'm gonna lose all, everything I have here. If it's starting to believe in Christ, some of, you, some of us in here would be like, oh, man, what if it's wrong and I do all this and it does nothing? I lose everything. Everything I once had is gone. It's scary when we take a leap of faith because there's always this fear present. What are we going to lose? Now, as the story keeps going, it's interesting kind of what happens because the boy comes into the world. They have a son, and he becomes five or six years old, and he's helping his dad out in the farm, and all of a sudden, he gets a headache. The Bible talks about it's just a constant headache and he can't go away. He comes home and his mom's kind of holding him and that's kind of where he just passes out. And they cannot wake him up. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I mean, as a parent, just going through that and they don't have the medical technology that we have now. They have no idea. Their conclusion is he's dead. Think about that for the mom. I'm sitting here, man, and it's just pulling at my heart as I'm hearing this story. I'm going, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. But her reaction in this moment of seeing her son struggling and, and seeing his life just kind of leave him, her reaction to this is very fascinating to me, and I want to show it to you because, catch this, in 2 Kings 4.22, she goes, she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Like, as soon as she finds out, she goes, okay, I need a donkey, I need to go see this man of God. I need to go to him right away. And her husband, if you keep reading on in verse 23, you kind of see, he's like, why are you going now? What's the point? Why can't you wait till it's like a festival or something like that? She's very confused. In verse 24, catch this. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. She, so she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So she is like on this path, no distractions, just going. And then here's the last part. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Keeps going in verse, and then she says something. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? 
you see even in this moment, she does something pretty unique to where she just bowed down and grabbed Elisha's feet. She was on just track, and she was going to kneel at the feet of the prophet who she knew was connected with God and just be like, why? Why? I didn't ask for this. Why are you giving this to me? The interesting part, in the midst of this fear of loss, she does something pretty brave. And here's what I want you to see. Her brave faith requires leaning on God. She didn't know, understand why, what was going on or anything, but she just made this track, got to the prophet, kneeled down, and just was there in front of God, just saying, God, why? I just need to lean on you because I don't understand what's going on right now. And through all of that, I mean, she was willing to look stupid to her husband of just saying, I just got to go. Her husband's like, this doesn't make any sense. Even kneeling down the prophet, the servant's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I can't do that. She's willing to do it. So here's my question for us. In the midst of this fear of losing something, in the midst of fear of losing stuff to our life because we're taking this step of faith, do you take this step as well where you lean on God? Because it's the best step you could ever take because I know the fear's gonna come but leaning on God's gonna help you overcome that fear. I know for me, and I experienced this, not to the degree that this woman did, but on a lighter note, but still hard for me to wrestle through. See, I transitioned out of the student ministry and, and is now gonna be leading the East location. I'll never forget wrestling through those moments and saying, God, I, I'm scared of what I'm going to lose. <laughs> I'm going to lose a ministry on some levels that I love. I love the team that I'm a part of. I love the students that I get to connect with. But I know if I take this job, it's going to change all of that. And I'm scared, Lord. I'm scared how this is going to go. That fear was almost to the point to where I was like, I don't know, I don't think I can move, I don't think I can make this transition, but I think God was keep showing me, are you willing to lean on me in this moment? And the amazing part is the more I leaned on him, the more my faith grew in being like, God, I'm gonna trust you through this. Even if this east location doesn't go exactly how it's gonna go, I know I need to walk through this because for fa failure or success, I need this because our relationship means it's gonna grow. It's gonna get better. That's why I have to walk this out. There's a quote I wanna share with you. Rick Warren said this, there is no growth without change, no change without fear or loss, and no loss without pain. I think that quote kind of sums up so much and being able to kind of see the progression that will happen when growth needs to happen. But, so you have that fear of loss that we have to wrestle with, but then here's the other one. And I wanna go back to verse 27 because we're gonna switch characters. It was focused on the woman, now it's gonna be on Elisha. So check this, I want you to watch Elisha in the midst of this. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his, his feet, Gehazi, Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God, and catch what he said, leave her alone, she's in bitter distress, 
but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Now, here's where the other fear comes in. Put yourself in Elisha's shoes for a little bit. You're a prophet. You've been able to read things, be able to see things, be able to know what people are thinking even before it happens. And you can pretty much tell them. And so the amazing part to me is he's sitting here going, I have no idea what she is going to tell me. God has not revealed this to me. And so if I was him, that would totally shock me on some levels. Because you've had this moment of like, God's always shown these, me these things, why not now? And, and then take you back a little bit. This is probably the scariest thing you could ever do as a pastor or for prophet. Like, Elisha promised her a baby. Sit on that for a little bit. The faith in that. Like, hey, you're going to have a child. That, I'll promise you as a pastor, I'll probably never guarantee that for you guys. Like, that's just <laughs> probably not going to happen. If it happens, you know that faith has really been growing in me and God's doing some amazing things, all right? Um, but Elisha, and so here's, here's the other fear. It's fear of perception. Because I think in Elisha, as soon as he finds out what's going on, I think this fear starts to set in. He's like, oh man, what is happening? I promised her this child. Now this child might be dead. You could, I, I could see the anguish in her. God, what, what is going on? What have I done? And even on top of that, you're like, why did I not hear this? God, is, is our relationship okay? Is everything all right? There's these moments where God kind of challenges us in a unique way where I feel like he's kind of challenging Elisha and you're kind of sitting here and going, oh man, I, I almost wonder if he was asking, this is not in the Bible, but this is just like Todd commentary. Like, he was like did I do something wrong? Did I mess up? Now, story keeps going, and so Elisha finds out, and he's like, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do something about it. And so he hands, like, his staff to Gehazi, his servant, and goes, go touch the boy with this and see if it works. Well, it didn't. And so now you're Elijah, and you're, like, going even more, like, what is happening? What is going on? And then he does something that is the weirdest thing in Scripture. And I'm going to he looks stupid, Okay. Let me read this to you. And I had to read it like four times, but catch this. When Elisa reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then it gets weird. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and they then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now, I did ask a doctor, hey, is this a normal technique? <laughs> is that why you ask, like, parents to leave the room? Like, is that, like, what's going on here? And they're like, it could be some random way of CPR. I was like, okay. But I read this and I'm like, what is Elisha doing? Because if this doesn't work, everybody who possibly may have saw, I know the door's shut, but if someone's peeking in, they're going to be like, whoa, hey, probably should stop that. Like, the perception of this just sounds terrible. But give you a little bit more background onto this. 
His mentor, Elijah, had a similar experience to where he was helping a widow and a son passed away, and he did this. And most likely, Elisha was in the room when it happened. And he was probably sitting there going, oh, dude, this is so weird. Why are you doing this? And then here comes this moment where I wonder if there's a conversation going on with him and God, and he's going, God, do I really have to do this? Why can't we just let the stick thing work? Do I really need to, you know, like whatever's going on here? But the powerful thing to me is to fight this fear of perception, because I think everything in Elisha was like, I don't want to do this. And I think most of us can relate in that, where God asks us to do something, and we're like, not that. Please, not that. But to fight this fear, a brave faith requires obedience over perception. Do you have a faith that does obedience over perception? Doing whatever God asks, regardless of what you think, regardless of what others think, because yeah, it may change the relationship you have with God. It may change the relationship you have with your kid or your spouse, but are you willing to be obedient because God's asked you to do it? Regardless of what the perception might be. That's not an easy one to walk out. I, I know that's hard for me. Both of these fears are so crippling on some levels. The question becomes, do we have that faith that is willing to see miracles happen? Are we willing to do what God asks and the miracles that may come out of that and our faith be able to walk through it? So let me ask you some questions. Which fear is holding you back? Where do you need to lean on God? Where do you need to be obedient regardless of the perception? I wanna share a story with you about a guy named Chris. Chris is gonna be joining me on staff as we go to the East location. I've known Chris for um, a while now. It's probably been like four or five years. And to see him, where he first was here, he kind of helped start a college ministry, um, start that, and it didn't work out the way he wanted it to, and it, it, it kind of bombed on some levels, and, and then he got into a job that he really liked, but he knew, he was like, I, I know I'm supposed to be in ministry, and so now we're stepping back into this, and his whole story, hearing his perspective on it, brought me to where I feel like this fits so well, of seeing someone wrestling with the fears in their lives, seeing someone wrestle with me, and what? Am I okay looking stupid at moments where no one else will understand this? And I think Chris's story will help us all begin to understand it. So watch the screens. I remember, I remember in high school, people always telling me I'd make a great used car salesman, which I don't know if that was a compliment or meant to be you know, making fun of me or not, but that was, it was true. Um, for some reason, I was really, really blessed in that job. It came to a point, and I remember there was, there was one August, where it was one of my best months, and I, I got paid, and every, the first week of the next month, we always sit down with our manager, we kind of talk about the month we had, where we want to improve, what we did well, things like that. And I remember sitting there, and I, I told him, I go, you know, man, this is more money than I ever thought I could make, and I'm not happy. 
this is not what I'm supposed to do. Like, I was I was called into ministry a long time ago, and I gotta I gotta follow that through. Like I don't I don't want to quit, but I have to do that. Jesus took 30 years to prepare himself for a three-year ministry, and so I can't expect God to push me into ministry until I'm ready, which I truthfully hated because I felt like so long ago God had called me into ministry, so why am I not in ministry? You know, why am I not there? But I knew, you know, I knew at some point he was going to kind of lead me there. I just didn't like being patient. It really... I didn't, I didn't want to be selling cars anymore. I wanted to be in ministry. I would see things go on here at Fountain Springs and I'd be so envious. About eight months ago, nine months ago, I, I had been approached by a couple of the managers about possibly being a manager. And so I just, I thought about that and I was like, man, going from especially where I was four or five years ago, where I was part-time at the YMCA, you know, making $9 an hour, I couldn't pay any bills, to this job where it was, it was success. Like I never saw myself as, as a success story and that would have been like true success. Um, but I also would have had to give up, I think, on what God was doing for me here. The day they kind of asked me, they're like, you know, we've, we've been talking about different managers and, and people who would be one and have you considered doing it. Um, I told them, you guys should not invest in me because I want to be in ministry and so I don't think I'll be here much longer. And uh, that was really difficult because I then had to watch other people get asked to take that job. And there was a part of me that was like, that was my job. Like, I, should have, I should have done that, but I, uh, I, I knew you know, this is where God wanted me and this is where he was leading me. And uh, I didn't want to give that up. That was, in, that was in March. And in May, Todd had asked me one time, he's like, hey, do you want to go to lunch this week? Uh, right away we sat down, he asked me, he goes, you know, I am the, they're starting this campus on the east side. He's like, they're gonna be, you know, really laying the foundation coming up soon and, and they've asked me to be the campus pastor and I want to ask you if, if you'd be willing to be my ne next steps director. It kind of hit me one that like, okay, God actually did plan on me being here. This is what he wanted me to do. The, the moves I was making, the chances I was, I was letting go at McKee or other places, those were all to set up this is what God wanted me to do. It's kind of scary sometimes when you decide, I want to I wanna follow what God's doing. Like, I, I want to listen, I want to follow. Because sometimes there's that question when stuff doesn't go the way you think it's going to go that maybe I'm not following him. Maybe I'm not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And you kind of start questioning. And, and I, had, I had a lot of questions at that point. I wasn't sure if I was, if I was actually you know, following him. And so there was a lot of relief in the fact that, okay, everything actually is working out the way God wants it to.